Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer, along with Gene Galvin and me. I'm Megan Hills. We're recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. My daddy came And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Springer. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh. Hi, Jer. Hey, Megan. Uh, actually, uh, just a few, maybe two hours ago, uh, our guests left. I mean, we were we had an invasion in our house, you know, for the whole family, uh, people who knew my family, uh, you know, for the holidays, for Passover and Easter. And mm-hmm. uh, so everyone, you know, when you have a home in Florida, particularly if it's on the water, People you never heard of become your best friends. <laughs> and Jer- and I have to say again, Frank and I really appreciated the invitation. Yeah. It was a lovely <laughs> time. <laughs> we have you booked for 2032. Thank you. We, we look yeah. forward to that time. Yeah, you may. <laughs> um, but you're on the list. So there you Thanks. go. Thanks. Well, shoot. But anyway, it, it was a great time. But boy, when you have. A How many people of- were there? Well, you know, 15, 16. Um, That's enough. That's a lot of people. <laughs> and Mickey and I were talking, two of them we knew. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did know them. And uh, no, it, but it was, uh, it's particularly at our age, it's tiring. I mean, it really yeah. is. You, you know, it's a million meals and uh, and you go out once in a while. And, but the, what's great is the kids love the, uh, going on there what do you call it? jet ski jet skis yeah so, yeah it's great for the kids i mean you got a beach you gotta i mean you know what's who's to complain i'm just saying after this podcast, and look at it you I found a way yeah. <laughs> yeah well mickey found the way i just i stand outside and wave at people wave at the tourists <laughs> by the way we have uh lance rogers from berea kentucky yes. as a musical guest hey tonight. lance Hey, Lance. Thanks for having me. We're going to have him on in a few minutes. Be sure to stick around for that. It's a very interesting guy with a cool backstory and uh, really just started writing music about, I don't know, three or four years ago. And uh, so anyway, Megan will be talking to Lance shortly. Uh, Hey, Jerry. uh, Yes. The Republican Party seems to be using religion these days at times as a, a freaking club uh, to beat people with. Yeah. Uh, do you think? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, ever, you know, ever since I sent a contribution to Liz Cheney's congressional campaign in recognition of her courage and integrity and being willing to stand up to Trump and his insurrection, clearly putting country before party, she did. I've been inundated with requests from other Republicans for contributions to their campaigns as well. Now, of course, there are very few issues that Congresswoman Cheney and I agree agree on, but I thought if she's willing to put country before party, I should too be willing. And that's why I did it. And I don't regret it. A democracy needs at least two viable parties. So if Republicans are going to be one of them, you certainly want them to be of her character and not that of the cronies who take up so much of our current headlines. Anyway, with today's highly sophisticated methods of fundraising, I'm not surprised to have suddenly turned up on all these lists, even Trump's. 
Nevertheless, there was one Republican letter, a six-page one at that, that did manage to grab my attention because it was clearly and ominously marked as confidential. It was sent by former Arkansas governor and unsuccessful candidate for president Mike Huckabee, now honorary chairman of the My Faith Votes organization. I immediately recognized that this guy doesn't really know me when he started out the letter with dear Christian friend, which naturally would have shocked my rabbi, not that that greeting offended me. After all, I have great respect for the Christian religion, as I do for all religions that provide a moral framework within which to live a life. But maybe that's what instantly bothered me about the letter, the tasteless hijacking of what millions hold as their sacred faith for the purpose of weaponizing it as a crass political grab for power, having nothing to do with faith. In fact, in many ways, in utter contradiction to its precepts. Let me share what's in this letter, the message that recipients have been asked in heavy print to keep strictly confidential, a request which I realize I'm now ignoring, but people need to be aware of what's going on. The fact that the letter is a litany of, litany of distortions at best and blatant dishonesty at worst is frankly not that shocking in today's political climate, particularly not from the voices of the extreme right. But to imply that to be a good Christian, you have to vote Republican, trivializes the sanctity of the religion in people's lives, and I imagine would make even Jesus scratch his head. Without getting into the absurdity of which party Jesus would register as, suffice it to say that his teachings enveloped the entire concept of caring for the poor and treating others as you yourself would want to be treated. Yet reading Huckabee's tirade in this letter of how Democrats, that is President Biden and the liberals, are anti-Christian, anti-American, that they're after our kids and you majority of Americans and yes, majority of Christians who did in fact vote for Biden, well, you're not apparently not very good Christians after all. The evidence he presents specifically that Dems want to raise taxes on the very rich and on corporations to help pay for health care, housing and education for those who are less wealthy or fortunate. Think about it. Would that really outrage Jesus to make sure our kids are protected from deadly viruses? Let's get them vaccines and masks if that keeps them and the people around them safer. Is that anti-Christian? to make sure our kids learn the truth about our racial history, not to make them feel guilty, but to inspire them to be the first generation to really do something about it? Is that something we should be preaching against in our Sunday morning sermons? Is it Christian to shut the door on immigrants of color while having no such complaints regarding those who are white? Look, if your views on the issues align with Huckabee's, that it's good to cut social programs for the poor so we can cut taxes for the rich, that it's good to prohibit mandatory vaccines and masks for kids, even if such a prohibition makes other kids and teachers around them less safe, that it's good to pass legislation suppressing the vote in African-American neighborhoods. Indeed, if these are your political views, obviously I'm unhappy about that, but you're entitled to express them and of course vote for like-minded candidates. But for God's sake, save us the indignity of suggesting that that is what God wants. 
what Christianity requires or what in fact is mandated by any religion which paves a way to God's blessings? And can we finally put to rest this factually inaccurate notion that America was founded as a Christian nation? It was not. In fact, the authors of our constitution went out of their way to separate any one religion from being the established or endorsed religion of our new country. Yes, more Americans are of the Christian faith than any other, but perhaps in deference to the place religion holds in people's lives, even though the signers were not religious themselves, they were making the point that for the constitution to stamp approval of any one religion suggests that it would have the right and power to remove that approval. And one's relation with God, if one has one, is none of any government's business. Further, Christianity is never mentioned in the Constitution, not once. And as we all should have learned in junior high school, the only constitutional references to religion are in the First Amendment. And I'm quoting, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. And in Article 6, Section 3, no religious test shall ever be required as a qualification to any office or public trust under the United States. Surely, if our founders ever had in mind the idea of creating a Christian nation or that of any other specific religion, they might have mentioned it at least once. The point of all this is one's religion is personal and to those who believe, sacred. But it was never meant to be used as a political cudgel to achieve power that isn't otherwise earned in a free and open democratic election. Distorting Christianity is bad enough, but weaponizing it for political purposes is un-American. Well, as a Christian, thanks for writing that, Jerry, and, oh, and saying it. <laughs> I love Dear the line. Christian friend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I saw that. And Clearly, this guy knows me well. He did, yeah, he did know me. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And, uh, boy, you're so right. Hey, uh, we want to pick your brain on something that's uh, also in the news, uh, and it's a much lighter side of life, and that is our failing Cincinnati Reds. Oh, now we're a national podcast, but you know we talked about the Cincinnati Bengals. And by the way, to give a little historical context, they used to suck. They they used they have at times been phenomenal, been to the Super Bowl before. And there have been times when they had some pretty low riding. But as recently as three years ago. Right. Yeah. I mean, so low that they were able to get the first round draft pick out of LSU and they got Joe Burrow. So that, that's how bad it was. But anyway, the Cincinnati Reds are horrible. I think today, well, today played today and I don't know how they did, but last night they lost their ninth game. They won two at the beginning of the season, then they run off like nine losses. And uh, so they have this guy that heads up the organization, uh, Phil Castellini, and he made national news. So those of us who are in the greater Cincinnati area, I live in Northern Kentucky, so does Megan. David Proust lives in uh, Cincinnati. Da Jerry has been, and this is a key point, 
mayor of Cincinnati, city council member for many years, major news anchor in Cincinnati, talk show host. Uh, he's well-known, well-regarded in Cincinnati. And while, is it not true, Jerry, while you were a city council member, there was the movement to create uh, stadi- two stadiums, stadii, for the Cincinnati Reds and the Cincinnati Bengals. Am I right about that? Yeah, I, I, the uh, the actual stadium, Riverfront Stadium, yeah, that that's right. came just before me. It, okay. The issue that came up was the building of the Coliseum. You got it. For the, uh, we were going to get hopefully a basket, an NBA franchise, and also a uh, NHL, you know, a hockey team. All right. So here's the question: As somebody who has been in charge of that kind of stuff, and 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 I, I want to pay some homage to you because I, I I known you since you first got to Cincinnati and began your political career. So I've watched and I've always complimented you and I continue to for being, you know, like really sharp, like, and I can brag on Jerry in ways that he can't for himself, but he was like smarter than anybody else. And even though he was a young dude, he just saw things quickly and clearly. And you were faced with as a young Bobby Kennedy type liberal to work your way through the minefields of a very mixed community, conservative city, actually, back in the 19, early 70s when you started, correct? But you had the business community, you had the Republicans, the Democrats, young people, uh, social activists, and you had to see the whole picture. And Today, this Phil Casolini, about two weeks ago, made a crack on opening day that got him into huge trouble in Cincinnati. He's really not out of it yet, though he profusely apologized the next day for saying this. But he basically said when people said, hey, Mr. Casolini, you and your uncle and you guys with the money sell the team because you're not investing and it's horrible and we hate it. And he said to a podcast host, where are they going to go? I mean, you know, these these fans that are bitching, I'm paraphrasing, where are they going to go? And then he he redowned the next, like in the next interview. He did it again on Channel 5, actually. So so he was he was like, you know, they've got nowhere to go. and, And all they get all we could do is move the team out of here. And so I'm wondering, Jerry. As a former government official, what, A, did you think of all that? And B, what would you, how do you see a professional sports team, which has the potential of making a lot of money, including when they suck, by the way, how do you see the value of that is that something as a leader you would say well he's you know he didn't say the right words but we sure can't lose them or would you say hey there are times when you say good riddance how, how do you see it well it, in in one to one extent it it depends on the sport uh clearly in terms of cincinnati's history you know cincinnati had the first major league uh, a professional baseball team, 
six, I think it was, 79. But anyway, uh, so, you know, we celebrated the centennial um, of the Cincinnati Reds. So baseball has a historic place within Cincinnati. And the professional football has a special place now in American culture. And, you know, you see that not just with the Super Bowl, but you see it in the TV ratings. Uh, you know, more people watch the professional football than any other thing on television. Uh, so I would have perhaps a different view that there may be, should be some public support for funding, for example, stadiums for those two particular sports on the one hand. And when I said I didn't want a penny of city money going into building a coliseum that would house the, uh, the hockey team, it's, uh, that is something that is smaller and could be paid for privately. And they, the private owners were going to make a ton of money on it. So there was absolutely no reason for the city to put one penny into that uh, Coliseum in the in, back in the 70s. And in fact, we didn't. We finally won that battle. And the Coliseum was built anyway with private funds. The reason baseball and football at this point are a little bit different than the just the straight argument about it, whether any public money should be put into it is they are the two businesses that are the public front of an American city. In other words, most Americans, for example, know of Cincinnati because either of that KRP in Cincinnati uh, sitcom back in the 1970s yeah. or because of the big red machine of the Reds or of the Super Bowl, the years that the Bengals are in the Super Bowl. In other words, when they put the name Cincinnati on their jerseys, they represent our community, which is why we hold them perhaps to a higher standard than let's say you had a hardware company, Cincinnati Hardware. It's got the Cincinnati name, but it doesn't speak for Cincinnati with no disrespect if there is such a company, but it's not, it's not the community. You know, because you felt it the last uh, two months ago, when the Bengals were in the Super Bowl, there was just a whole new, everybody seemed to have benefited from that in terms of the feeling, in terms of the uh, businesses improving, just everyone walking up with a smile, uh, being invested in emotionally and GIO, even people that didn't know football um, just got into it. So I think there is a place, and I understand the criticism that they gave Castellini, which is deserved, because he's carrying the banner of the name Cincinnati. His, the reason he has fans is because people relate to Cincinnati. If, it, if that team moves to another city, the fans aren't going to go crazy for them here in Cincinnati. He gets the money he's getting, and he makes the profit he's making because he has a fan base here, because the name Cincinnati is relevant to his business. So that's why he's so wrong. That same comment could be made by the head of the heart, you know, the owner of a hardware store doesn't affect anybody's life in Cincinnati other than that particular family that owns that business. And, and that's why I, I have a split view. There should be some, um, 
contribution made financially, which they do, uh, with the, the stadiums that are built for baseball and football because of the unique place they hold in the community's identity. But otherwise, no. These owners, like the owners when we were building a coliseum for a hockey team, that was absurd. Uh, most Cincinnatians had, at that point never even seen a hockey game. It's become a big sport now, but back then it was very small. Even the NBA wasn't big back then. What was your reaction from afar? You were in Florida when all this broke and you knew about it. So obviously, it, well, tell us that. Just to cap this off. Did you, was a you know about it yeah. in Florida? Yeah. It really was a, uh, you know, he, I think he regrets it. I hope he regrets it. It was a horrible uh, thing to say because he carries the name of the Cincinnati community. And yeah. every bit of profit he makes in his business is because of the loyalty of Cincinnati fans wanting the franchise. Yeah. And uh, so he owes them. He owes them. And uh, to so disrespect that people that have given you this part of your living and say, well, you know, they're stuck. They have no place to go. Yeah. That's more than bad public relations. You represent Cincinnati. March shot. May she rest in peace. She got in trouble for yeah, saying things that, you know, she got in trouble for saying some racial things that were really bad. And if it were just a private business, her own business, it, it wouldn't have received any attention. But because the Cincinnati Reds represent Cincinnati and for much of the country, that's what the country knows about Cincinnati, the Reds and the Bengals, um, you've got to treat it with respect. And to just you know that, you know, that and, the as Megan pointed out, he he kind of doubled down. But then the evening passed. And as one of yeah. the columnists in the Cincinnati Inquirer, the major daily paper here, pointed out, I think he named them all the PR people that work for the Reds. And there's like a whole list of them that are paid, you know, money. And they you you have to imagine that he oh, spent <laughs> a night with people starting with it's it's uncle right it's Bob Castellini that he's a major owner it's, I think his uncle and they must have ripped this guy just bludgeoned him and the next morning he put out a written statement that was obviously written by was it PR him guy. or the Reds? I thought the Reds put no, out he, a statement. No, no, was he, it him? Okay, he he had to he had to eat, eat a bunch of crow. And, and Did you yeah, see? It was kind of made you think of Tom Brenneman, who made a crack about oh, uh, gay people and has not worked since then. Really, not in the in the manner he's accustomed to. <clears throat> so Casalini, you know, people got a hold of him. You wonder if. Mayor Aftab Perval, recently elected mayor of Cincinnati, because Jerry, in fact, here's a final question. If you were mayor of the city and that guy did that, would you have just sat back and said, well, let the PR people from the Reds handle it? Or would you have done something if you were the mayor of Cincinnati that afternoon or that evening? Tell us your thoughts on that. Well, I would have gone after him. And that's not to make a hero out of me, obviously, uh, but uh, 
with Marge shot, um, I was anchoring the news for the NBC affiliate in Cincinnati for 10 years there. And Marge shot ran, got into trouble uh, for, you know, what she said about uh, Nazi symbols and, you know, Hitler did some things right, you know, whatever. And she got in trouble and she was. And but the Cincinnati Reds. Channel five, my station covered all the Reds game. It, they were our single biggest client. Wow. It, at the time, which isn't considered as much money today. But back then, they were like $20 million a year to Channel 5, a local station, just for doing the Reds games. And I did my evening commentary blasting her. Yeah. And the station sat me down afterwards, but they were so cool about it. They said, you know, that kind of hurts us, but... You know, we'd like it if, in you know, you don't have too many of these, but you have every right to do it. So we yeah. can't stop you. They just wanted me to know how they were hurting, how sure. I was hurting Channel 5 by doing that. So I know in my gut, yeah, somebody insults the Cincinnati community when their whole living is based on the fans supporting them. Um, it, it just doesn't make any sense. It, it'd be like in show business. Yeah. You know, those of us who make this wonderful living because we have fan support, if we suddenly diss the fans. Yeah. One of the things that I thought was interesting that came out is a lot of the local, um, I live in Northern Kentucky, as Gene mentioned in Florence, Kentucky is right down the road here. And we have the Florence y'alls. Um, and it's our local team. I think Gene, would you call that? It's a, is a B team. Is it just a, a minor, league? Yeah, the minor, yeah, league, minor league. Well, they had t-shirts made up that said y'alls are welcome. <laughs> they said they would take yeah. all of them, <laughs> all of the Reds fans. You want some place to go. Come on over. Y'alls are welcome. <laughs> so <laughs> it did become kind of a joke in the community, but they, you know, essentially they were saying there are other choices castellini and it i i just think it was such a shame to throw it in fans faces like that they watch the butchering of the team in the offseason and then have castellini come out and just be so brash about everything and saying essentially we don't need you or where are you going to go without us like it was just a big old screw you from castellini it pissed me off sorry <laughs> i think he's gonna I, th I think he's uh he's maybe damaged goods forever and uh, time will tell if he remains in his position, and he very well could. But even if he does, I think he is hobbled by this. This oh, yeah. is not an easy thing to um, get out of. Well, there's I mean, a practical problem as well, because it, a baseball survives significantly on the free agent market. Yep. What free agent ball player point. who's out on the market and boy, Cincinnati could really use him. Who's going to want to come here when you know the owner could care less? Like that. Yeah. 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 You're not going to want to put your career, you know, in the hands of, of this kind of management. That's what the danger is on the business side. Forget us yeah. being insulted as Cincinnati fans, but the business players aren't going to come here. And you know what cures all in sports controversies is winning. Winning. <laughs> and now they've run off, you know, eight or nine straight losses. And they've got this Hunter Green guy that throws, you know, hundreds of, of over 100 mile an hour pitches per game. 
and yeah. they still can't win. So they, they're snake bit now. And, and yeah. I'm sure that, that uh, Phil Casolini gets his headache gets worse every time they lose. Cause he knows if we could win, everybody forgets about my foul mouth, but he's getting yeah, no true. help. And that's I'm not true. saying the players are throwing games. Uh, they just suck. And uh, <laughs> oh, man. that's anyway. the, that's enough of Gene sports analysis for today. Hey, how about them Yankees? Huh? Yeah, sports yeah, yeah, corner yeah, yeah. with Gene Galvin. <laughs> hey, by the way, the, the set, the uh, Paul Brown, uh, Mike Brown, the son of Paul Brown, I get, get my history right here. Uh, and his daughter, Katie Blackburn, uh, Mike and Katie run the Reds, uh, run the Bengals. And Mike Brown has had periods, years where he was has been hated in Cincinnati for the same reason that he just wouldn't spend the dough to get the caliber needed to win. But all of a sudden, as of last year, he's a hero in Cincinnati. <laughs> Mike Brown with his goofy hats and you know he's, he's golf just carts this, and yeah, yeah riding around in a golf cart. <laughs> but, but, but like winning solves everything sure does ain't happening at the moment anyway right. let's let's bring on a winner lance rogers hi lance a winner i'll take that thank you <laughs> welcome to the show lance rogers uh via berea kentucky yes is that where you're uh that's where you're with where you are phoning it in from us for us today and i'm currently here i was born and raised here um i left shortly for new york for two years and i ended up back in berea Nice. Very, yeah. very nice. I've been down to Berea. It's beautiful down there. That college, it's the free uh, university down there, correct? Yes. It's uh, it was, it's been here since 1850s. It was built for, you know, equality. And like, um, even before the civil war, there, it was open to everybody. Yep. That's a great story. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Berea college is really cool. Got a wonderful history. I'm proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. So, Tell us a little bit about your sound. You got a country kind of sound to you, Americana. Yes, it's kind of, you know I, I you know somebody asks me every day like what what kind of music do I play? I say it's traditional country. Um, okay. What they want to call that now is Americana, but what they're saying is like you're not going to hear it on the radio. That's what that means. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not nothing about a solo cup or a tractor or anything like that. It's <laughs> it's like it's more story based. It's you know it's yeah. real. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, it doesn't re- result in fantasy. It's it's something that's uh, it, it means a lot to people. You know, I find a successful song makes somebody feel something. It's either it's either going to make you feel happy or sad. And most of my songs make you feel sad. Yeah. <laughs> so, who would you say are some of your influences over the years? And you just started writing. This is just as of 2018, right? 2018, I wrote my first song. And so this is relatively new. What what made that change happen for you? Well, I was doing a, you know, I bought a guitar and I, I, I figured I need to learn how to play it. So I just like, I started messing around and playing a couple cover songs of, of people that I really like. There's a, there's a Kentucky singer songwriter named Chris Knight. And I put a song out that I, I did a cover. Um, I put it on Instagram and I got a lot of friends and family that were like, man, I didn't know you could sing. And I, I felt that in my soul. I was like, well, I didn't know either. I just put it out there to see what ha- could happen. And so I put another cover song out there. And before long, I was like, you know what? If they like the way I sound, I need to really write my own stuff. So I sat down and wrote a song. And it's called Hey Betty. 
And it was the first song I ever wrote. And I got a lot of good feedback. And that was the first of, you know, I wrote probably a hundred in, in the next couple of years after that. Wow. So it's just kind of meant to be, huh? I feel that way. I feel that way. I debuted my, my album last year. It was something I I dreamed up and it it came to fruition and it's out there. And what's the name of that album? It's self-titled Lance Rogers. You know, I figured, you know, I didn't want to put a a title out there. I wanted to get my name out there. So people could like, okay, here's his sound. So the next album I may come up with a clever title, who knows, but the first album I wanted to get out there, I wanted people to, you know, know what my name is and and know what I sound like and know what my writing style is. And um, cool. like, I'm still at the very beginning. I got a little bit of a late start, but you know what? Have you ever seen like on your computer screen when you lose connection, you have like this little buffering sig- symbol in the in the middle. It just sitting there. Yeah. Rotate. Then all of a sudden it catches on and it fast forwards to the point you're supposed to be at. That's yeah. why I, that's how I feel like I've been in my life for a long time. I've been buffering. And so once I realize what I'm supposed to do with my life, it's singing and it's songwriting. And I don't know exactly how that's going to affect somebody in the future, but I know it will. And that's why I do it. That's awesome. Good for, so you. This, Good for you. So the song that you're going to share with us this evening is called Outside the Lines. Is this from uh, that self-titled album? This is from the album, Outside the Lines. Excellent. This is the first song I ever released um, through the studio. So um, I'd, I'd written a bunch of songs before this one, but this is the first of my releases on the album. Excellent. So here we have Lance Rogers with Outside the Lines off of his self-titled album. Took a long, slow draw off a palm on In the shadows of a Friday night bleacher One converse chuck up against the pole She was happy where no one could reach her She kinda dug the way I wore my hair And the T-tops on my old Trans Am I thought about her when I chose what to wear Cause she likes ripped jeans and Ray-Bans Outside where the wild things run Outside we were children of the sun Outside where only we i 
Ladies and gentlemen, again, that was Lance Rogers with Outside the Lions. You can find him and his newly released self-titled album, Lance Rogers. Lance, tell us where we can find your music, your album. Are you on Spotify? Tell us where we can go to find some more of this fantastic music storytelling. You can get it on Spotify. You can get it on iTunes, Deezer. Um, You can go to uh, my website, LanceRogersMusic.com. There's links to all my stuff there. Uh, and if you want to send me a message on Instagram, I'll reply to it. You know, I'll, I'll send you a, a copy in the mail. That's awesome. Well, we hope to have you back again real soon, Lance. It's been a pleasure. And it's so cool to, to know that, you know, just a few years ago, you took this on and look at where you are now. That's, that's very exciting and a really cool message to put out there. So we look forward to having you back again, man. Um, and so while you are checking out Mr. Rogers and his wonderful music, that's Lance Rogers, check him out and make sure that you are also swinging by all of our Jerry Springer podcast sites as well, giving us five stars, leaving us reviews, leaving us questions. Gene literally waits all day for one email. He will answer you. So get out there. Let us know what you're thinking. Check out Lance and stick with us. We'll be back with you next week.
the tales, tunes, and tomfoolery. Recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky. Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening. Check out our website at jerryspringer.com. Thanks for having us.